Welcome to the Creators on Comics podcast. This podcast is a conversation between two creators, dissecting the craft and technique that goes into creating comics. This episode features Brent Harshman and Frankie White, two writers with new horror comics published by Dauntless Stories. Brent is the writer of The Price, a haunting tale that delves into the horrors and insanity of the Old West. And Frankie is the writer of Eat My Flesh, Drink My Blood, a uniquely absurd romantic horror that asks, how far will you go to be with the one you love? Hey guys, it's Brent Harshman, a.k.a. the King of Los Angeles, a.k.a. the uh, the Man of a Thousand Gimmicks, a.k.a. Um, I'm not going to go through all these. Uh, I, I'm the writer and one of the co-creators of The Price from Dauntless Comics uh, by Kevin Castanero and Fabi Marquez. And I'm Frankie White. i'm the writer of eat my flesh drink my blood also from dauntless uh, stories and uh, that is also done by adam markiewicz who did the line art and ahg who did the color we have both worked with adam and ahg and we also have like a pretty long history coming up together Mm -hmm. Um, i believe your first comic uh gone fishing was like a short story right yeah, thir- 13 pages. So I was lucky that, that that publisher wanted to put it into a floppy format. <laughs> yeah, and it was, it was, I think it was advertised in the back of my first comic too, uh, the first issue of the very short-lived Weaselmeisters. Uh, that was a, that was a, ro- a long-running series for uh, self-published. You got like four or five issues out of that, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, I could I could eventually release a sixth issue, but I'm too lazy to letter it. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna let it let it hang there that's all right i get that but yeah so we, we've been like kind of like in the same circles for a, quite a while i think 2014 was when both of our first uh first stories came out so mm-hmm. it is kind of crazy to think about like and there's a couple other people in the twitter sphere that have been like mutuals with me and you too like around that time but to have like another comic creator that you follow and are both releasing something together and then you just kind of get to like coast along together and see how everybody's doing the whole way through. That's, I don't know. It's like digital camaraderie. It's very nice. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. And um, I mean, it kind of just mirrors itself, right? Cause like way back then we released stuff from like the same publisher, quote unquote, at the same time. And then now we're releasing two horror books from the same publisher, no quotes this time. Cause Dauntless is legit at the same time. I think, I think that's, that's wild and cool. And uh, Eat My Flesh, Drink My Blood, a.k.a. Dave Matthews Band, is the best. Oh, my God. Thank you. Uh, and thank you for calling it uh, Dave Matthews Band. I feel <laughs> like I saw someone uh, someone had tweeted at me that was just like, hey, Frankie. And they're like, what? And they're like, Eat My Flesh, Dave Matthews Band. I'm like, you think that's clever, but we've been making that joke ourselves <laughs> since literally it was like first put into initials. And even our working title for it was just Project Dave because real fans call him Dave. <laughs> are you are you a real Dave Matthews fan? No, absolutely okay. not. That would have surprised uh, me, honestly. Th- that I mean, I like some of his singles. You know, there's a couple of good ones in there. I honestly haven't listened to enough of his stuff to really say one way or the other. That's a joke from community, though, for my deep community fans. <laughs> yeah, Adam is also a huge community fan. I remember when we were working on, like, our, our pitch uh, two years ago, whenever he would share, like, uh, snippets of it on online like it would always have like a uh, random community quote 
Yeah, that that uh, is still true to this day, um, except for now, if you're in the Discord talking with him and you say like, he'll send like a page in, you'll be like, oh, this looks really, really good. Not a lot of the times with Adam and with AHG both, like I don't have to do very much like editing on my part. Like they send me stuff, I'm like, oh, fuck, okay. Like this is great. <laughs> like I don't really have any notes, but like I'll say something. And then the response is just a gif from community. So it's yeah. like, he hasn't, he hasn't changed. He's the same. <laughs> yeah, it's, they're both incredible. Like, I mean, seeing you guys' work on Broken Bear and then now, what, three years later, seeing you guys' work on Eat My Flesh, like seeing you guys just gel and continue to gel and get closer <laughs> each page is just awesome. I mean, it, it, it's, it's kind of like, I mean, there are two people that, that I want to work with for like the rest of my comics career. Um, when we started doing Broken Bear, it was supposed to be just black and white because Adam's line art's so freaking good. I was like, let's see if we can sell this. Obviously, the American comics market does not want black and white comics, so it's an impossible sell. Um, so we got a, a sheet to join. And at that point, I don't think that was like his first book he colored. He hadn't colored like any like long, long comics at that point. And when we worked together, Adam basically said at that point, he was like, all right, well, I'm going to work with AHG for the rest of my life because he <laughs> makes my work look even better. And I mean, you've worked with AHG, so you know, like, yeah. dude's crazy good. Where did, do you remember like where you, what you were doing, what, where you were at when you first kind of conceptualized Eat My Flesh? Um, so originally it was supposed to be, it was kind of like I had done, I had done Broken Bear and I had done 20 Fists and I did both of those long form comics. I guess they're long form technically back to back and simultaneously really. And I paid out of pocket to help get those made. And so I was at a point where I was like, I can't make new comics anymore right now. Just cause like it, it, it's, it's a fucking grind. It takes forever. It costs a lot of money if you're not really successful with Kickstarter or anything like that, or you don't get lucky with the publisher. So I was like, maybe I should just write a short story just to do some writing that's, you know, not comics. And so I started writing this short story that eventually would become Eat My Flesh, Drink My Blood. And the only reason it became a comic was I had like the whole outline written. And I had like the first couple pages written in prose. And then I lost the save document. And I was like, I, I, I'm to this day, I don't know where it is or how I lost it because it should just be like, I email my stuff to me all the time. Like if I'm writing something, I'll save it on my computer and then I'll also email it. So there's a backup somewhere. And I did that and it's gone. So when I lost it, I was like, well, fuck, I don't want to do this again. Like, you know, you know, if you're playing like a really hard video game and you get fucked by a boss or something, you're oh, like, yeah. fuck, I'm done. And I'm like, you're like, okay, I gotta take a break. You gotta step back from it. That was what happened with that. And then when I came back to it, I was like, oh, you know, maybe I can just make it a comic. Like, let's see how, let's see how it works. And thankfully, Marcus was basically like the hero of this story where like we, you know, I pitched it to him. He was looking for pitches. I pitched it to him. And the fact that at the time Dauntless was paying out of pocket to pay their artists and everything was huge. And the fact that he was like, yeah, no notes, do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> go nuts with it and you know i don't think there's another publisher that would have paid us page rates first of all there's like not even that many in the first place that do that but i don't think there would be a publisher that would pay us to make the book that we made as crazy as it is with a three panel format and you know widescreen approach and everything like that i think i would get told what 
I get told for a lot of my projects, which is that's not really marketable. <laughs> no, I, I, I get that though. Like, I think what I like about you most as a writer is that you're a very patient writer. You really do like character moments over like action and like craziness, which I vibe with uh, 100%. But I can also see in the American market where you might get those notes and that sucks. <laughs> yeah. Like, I really need to have been like born in like 80s European comics market where they were letting like artists do art sort of thing, you know, and like even if the story kind of sucked, like no, no offense to Mobius, but some of those comics, the story is not very good. But like, <laughs> like a good art team and they're like, yeah, just go buck wild, do whatever you want, make it into like a 44 page <laughs> comic and go go nuts um I, I i would have thrived in that system but i'm okay with being a maverick indie artist like yourself you know you just <laughs> just gotta do what you gotta do switching it to you though when you were making the price i i wondered about this did it start as like a 24 page comic like was it was it like something that you wanted to be bigger or was it because i i tend no, to start no. I start big and scale down once I realize the, the amount of money it costs to make everything. Did it start as a short comic? So, yeah, I mean, the price is kind of a beast of its own. Um, I was starting a replay of um, Red Dead Redemption 2, which starts <laughs> off with them being stranded in a, on the top of a mountain in a blizzard. And I was like, this is like the perfect setting for a horror. And I've been wanting to write a horror and I had been wanting to write a Western. So I just like opened up my Word document and within two hours I had the first drafts written and it was just like, yeah, 22 pages, I want to say. I don't think I, I don't think I edited it down at all. I think it was just like changing where panels were and stuff like that. But I think it's always been 22 pages. That's nice. Cause that's like my favorite thing about, it. I wish there was more stories that are like this, that are just like, like what this is, just a short story that's contained in and of itself in 20, you know, 20 pages. I mean, being able to pick something up and read it and be done with it in one sitting is sort of like what I recently have been striving for as a writer. Um, I've been moving away from like long, 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 long stories. I want yeah. something like like the classic, like 70 to 80 minute horror approach, right? Where you can just sit down, you get it done. And maybe if it's good enough, you want to just immediately start it over again. Which yeah. is what I did price. <laughs> so, I mean, that's like my jam. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I, again, going back to when we first started, like it was like polar opposites. Like you did like a 12 page thing. And I did, I think the first, the first issue was like 15 pages. But then like, I was like a long term thing, right? Like a complete opposite of what they tell you to do. Like I was like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, I'm going to tackle a 30 issue thing. No problem. This is easy. Mm -hmm. They're easy. I've done this for two seconds. But then, like, as I went, I learned the importance of short stories. And I just like really focused on that probably about 2017 or 2018. I really focused on just like making a bunch of short stories. So I did like Soviet Ghosts, which was like a six page little espionage thing uh and a few others actually my first time working with AHG was on one of those and so I, I just always really like short stories and as an independently funded person it's a lot easier on the wall and then yeah like on top of that like it's easier to get somebody to read your your short one-off story versus hey here's the first chapter of something or hey here's like a 200 page graphic novel right Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I did a similar thing when we did Broken Bear. Broken Bear, like in my head, that's my magnum opus. That's my dark tower sort of thing where it's going to span, you know, several 
several volumes and I thought, yeah, I don't care. Everyone says start small, but I'm going to do this. And then the first volume came out and it didn't make enough money. And <laughs> now it's <laughs> kind of definite hiatus until someone is willing to pick it up. Basically. It's because I know like it was tied up for a little bit at the previous publisher. Is it back in your guys' hands now? So the uh, like future volumes are, they relinquish the rights to that. They're holding on to the rights for the first volume until the contract deal is up, which I think at this point is, I think it's 2023, might be 2024. So it's kind of in a weird spot where it's like, we could technically start working on new stuff, but at the same time, if you can't also package like the first volume in with a new yeah. publisher, they're not going to want to take it right now. So it's like, it's still basically sort of in limbo. Um, but then also just like, again, doing like a long form project is a lot of work and getting, you know, Adam and AHG free for that extended period of time is also a problem. Um, <laughs> that's what, cause that's what we're doing with, we're working on a potential new project together. But one of the big caveats was that AHG was saying he wanted to take some time for personal stuff, like personal project stuff and things like that. And so he didn't want to even commit to anything super big out of the gate with eat my plus drink my blood or after eat my plus drink my blood. And that isn't even a super long comic. So really that's like, it's the logistics of comics. That's the fun stuff, right? That's the stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. The stuff we, we all die when you're, when you're like a little five-year-old flipping through a Batman comic, you're like, man, I can't wait to schedule stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me ask you this too. And I asked you this online. I think it was in a message chat though. So I'm going to put you verbatim. What's the, what's his deal? <laughs> um, so, is it a figment of their imagination? Is it? I have my answer for that. And this is what I told you in the thing is once it's in the reader's hand, it's up to their interpretation. And mm -hmm. I'm a firm believer in that both as somebody who consumes media and also somebody who creates media. Like I have my answer for that. His name is old Luke for a reason. There is a reason why instead of that page being three pages prior when they first opened the barn door to being what they see after the somewhat happy ending of them walking off into the sunset. But I'm not going to answer whether or not that's real that he's real or if he was a figment or blah, blah, blah. Because again, I, I want to leave that up to the reader and I don't want to spoil that fun for them. Boo. Boo. <laughs> I'm like that opposite. I like reader interpretation and I love that, but I definitely think like the writer's interpretation matters when, when you approach, you know, what, what they're doing. Um, as much as I, you know, cause I mean, eat my flesh, drink my blood has a similar sort of open-ended ending to it. And I know what happens and I don't say it out loud, but if somebody asked me, I would just tell, because what I think of it now might not even impact. Like if we say we did a follow-up or something, I might change my mind. Like, not ever mind. Like the readers were right. They had a better, you know, they had a better idea. Um, if you want spoiler alert for you, yeah. my, flesh, my blood. Um, so it ends, the story ends with Lisa consuming John's heart, her fiance's heart, in an attempt to potentially save him because they're in a, a cannibalistic underground cult church um, where the parents take the heart. I have to explain the whole fucking book. To get <laughs> <laughs> they have to take their they have to take their kids' hearts out and eat them so that they can in turn get life extended life. The only caveat to that, which is not specifically written down in the book, because that's boring. I don't like doing that stuff. Is that when you consume a person's essence their essence is now inside your body. So that's why the cult splits them up. That's why they, they get their kid's heart, the mom, the dad, and the priest split it. So that way one person's entire essence isn't in their body and they're not having to buy for control essentially. But 
Lisa does eat all of John's heart. So all of John is inside of Lisa's body at that point, which fingers crossed, I'm going to spoil this now. If Eat My Flesh, Drink My Blood is a smash hit and we do get to do some sort of follow-up, it is going to pivot so fucking hard into like rom-com territory. And it's going to have one of those ridiculous titles like, help, I ate my fiance's heart and now he's stuck inside my body. <laughs> it's going to be about that because I want to explore that. I think that would be really funny to do. Yeah, that's fun. Um, that's super fun. I loved that you didn't explain that, right? In the in the story. And I love that like you left that up to like, I read that last page and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Which I love. Um, I did keep it open. And, and I, I do keep it open in the script too because technically technically if you look on the script page it doesn't say john saying like those final words in the script it just says a voice i wanted to keep it sort of like this might be a cop out but a little bit open is there's a religious not even subtext to the book there's a religious text in the book and i like the idea that the cult is essentially a a representation of like the perversion of faith and like how that works and then her getting out and seeing the sunrise that's like true faith essentially it's like not organizational it's just what you personally believe and so i wanted to keep that open that like it it could be herself saying that it could be uh john saying that it could be god saying that even if you are a religious person and you want to take that approach and that's where like reader interpretation matters because i want to know what they want to see out of it but i wouldn't be afraid to tell them like this is what i think so i i i'm gonna ask this but i mean i know religious trauma is a thing so if it's a route that you don't want to take feel free i mean obviously my heart is on my sleeve in the price like my anxieties about friendship is right on the page your story deals with a somewhat new relationship um meeting parents and then also religion and i grew up in the catholic church i have my thoughts on that and we can get into that if we want that to become this um but is how much of Eat My Flesh is based on your own experiences in those three categories? Uh, that's a good question. Um, so I would say very little to start. Um, I was also raised in the Catholic Church, so I'll start there. Um, and while I am not a practicing Catholic anymore, I think that's where that ending, that open-ended ending it sort of falls. Is I am more agnostic at this point. Not a hardline atheist, but I don't like the way that the Catholic Church runs things or most organized religions. Um, so that's sort of where that open-ended, you know, feeling of like you can find your own quote-unquote God in like whatever you want to find it in. Um, my relationship with my parents is absolutely not like what it is. <laughs> um, I, I love my parents and I also love my in-laws. They're, they're super great people. So like that was more just me having fun. And then my relationship with my wife is very, very good. And I would eat her heart if I had to. <laughs> very romantic. I was going to um, say that's the romance we signed up for. But I think the, the, the biggest thing with that is just like, as a writer, I, you know, write what you know is sort of the, the rule of thumb, I think. And so it's taking what I know and then applying it to things that maybe I don't necessarily deal with. Like, even though I, have like an okay relationship with my in-laws now i know what it's like to not have a good relationship with people period and i know what shitty people are like (laughs) through personal experience it's it's easy to graft experiences i do know and have experience 
onto other things that maybe aren't necessarily like in line with what is currently going on in my own life. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad that you, your parents aren't cannibalistic, uh, cult fanatics. I'm very, very happy to hear that, Frankie. Yeah, no, they, they're really, really sweet people. Uh, I mean, that's the fun of writing. I think, right. Is the make-believe aspect. And mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily someone that's ever going to make any kind of like, uh, auto bio book right because i think for the most part i'm i'm okay and i don't need i don't have a an entertaining enough life to do that and that's why i write stories <laughs> i have a question for you though because you've been doing this now for a while this isn't your first book doing this and so i've kind of like as a writer you hear all the time on twitter that they're like writers should do more things writers should learn how to do all the other aspects of making comics like you should learn how to you know do a little bit of drawing you should learn how to do breakdowns you should learn how to letter which is what you have started doing and you've been doing it now for a couple of your works where do you stand on that obviously you letter your own work so you do believe you should do at least a little bit of it how much of it is a money saving measure how much <laughs> of, how much is it of it is like you want to know the art of lettering because like you think it's something valuable for yourself. I mean, yeah, first and foremost, I love lettering. And I always have like even working, uh, working with letter squids, um, working with um, people before him and then um, seeing people's work like Taylor Esposito and Jim Campbell and others. It's an art form and it's awesome. And yeah, I mean, during, during like the first quarantine, I got bored and I was like, you know, I'm going to teach myself lettering and even, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to always letter my own work. I mm-hmm. think there are people that do it far better than me and that should be on the books versus me. However, even when I'm not lettering the book, I think it's such a valuable tool for a writer to have just so that in your rewrite phase after you get the art and but before you send it to the letterer, putting it onto the page and seeing what it's going to look like and then sending that a script based off of that to a letter, it's going to be better because you're not going to be getting the lettered pages back and being like, well, actually, instead, can we do this? Mm-hmm, Which mm-hmm. is, if you follow any letterers on on Twitter, it's their number one favorite thing. Oh, man. I feel like all of all of comics Twitter is basically just creators subtweeting the writers and being like, <laughs> getting together. Like, that's like, honestly, what it feels like most of the time. Which is fine, because we suck for the most part. We don't really contribute anything. <laughs> It's true. I could, I can write like, I mean, with this, so the price is perfectly perfect example. It took me two hours to write the first draft. <laughs> it took Kevin, let's see, we started production, I mean, let's say summer 2021. And it just got released. Like it takes the creative team much longer than a writer to do their So work. then follow up for that. Do you tend to fiddle with your scripts in the meantime while you're waiting? Because for me, the hardest part is like the song says, it's the waiting. The waiting's the hardest part. And if I'm sitting there, like say I've sent a script out to Adam, or maybe not even a full script, maybe it's a couple pages or something, depending on the project we're working on and how the flow of that works. What I typically tend to do is I'll send him it. And then as he's working on like the panel breakdowns, that's when I start fine tuning, like the dialogue. I tend to fine tune the dialogue constantly throughout mm-hmm. the script like before it gets to the lettering point because a i'm t- i don't like waiting <laughs> i can be very impatient with that stuff so like i need to do something for myself right i'm not just sitting there like waiting for months and months and months to get pages that so for me it's like i definitely am always fiddling dialogue typically unless it's like dialogue that should be pushing the plot um but typically if it's just like characters talking 
that'll pretty much stay the same, if not get cut at the very end, just to save space on the panel. But like captions, especially where the price is like a thematic book. So I'm always sharpening that because like the vomit draft isn't going to hit as hard as if I just am constantly cutting my flesh open and like letting, letting my true self and like my thoughts on these themes of friendship that I've had (laughs) for a very long time come out. Yeah. There is a real, uh, emphasis i feel like put on if you if you choose to put narrative captions in a comic i feel like whenever like people decide to do that that's where the crux of the writing ends up being versus like like you said like the dialogue where people might just be talking a lot of it gets put onto that narrative structure because so much of the emotional impact and like everything lays into that that's partially why i've like stayed away from doing that and i like to use thought bubbles a lot for internal narrative and i think that's like i'm like the reverse like my dialogue is always getting tweaked constantly getting tweaked and then like usually instead of doing narrative i try to nail down like the panel breakdowns like immediately like once a page to an artist right there's no tweaking of that structure at all outside of unless the artist is like hey it would be better if we did this way and, and then I'm like constantly just tweaking dialogue to make sure it flows better, that it sounds good, that like it, like you said, it's not too wordy or anything like that. You know, that classic 25 words or less sort of mentality. But do you, do you, that, that brings up a good thing. Cause like, I always see people say like, oh, I try to keep less than a hundred, a uh, hundred words per page or blah, blah, blah. Like, is that something that you actively follow? Like, are you like going through and like uh, in your script and like counting the words and stuff? Not per page, but per panel. So like if, cause I think like there's like a certain point where like the word balloons start to look a little too like unwieldy. Um, yeah. I don't want, it's not a knock, but I, I, my comics, I don't, they don't look like, like say like Scott Snyder's cause oh, he no. like have like very big, you know, verbose writing style. Yes. Um, so I typically try to avoid that as much as possible. And that's partially why I don't do narrative captions a lot. I try to keep everything like on the page, essentially, for the most part, like whatever yeah. some saying or thinking in the moment, that's what you're privy to. You don't get to know their internal, you know, monologue, like, so to speak. Yeah. For me, like when it comes to like hard and fast rules, I don't follow like the like, I forget who it was one of my one of our one of our mutual friends, like we were just like talking about the craft and stuff like that. And like they mentioned the idea of like, oh, in like dialogue and captions, there should only be like up to a hundred words per page or whatever the, the rule was. Mm-hmm. I, I never follow stuff like that, but like for me, I try to keep each balloon or box one sentence, maybe two sentences, but anything <laughs> longer than that becomes too clunky. But again, it comes down to like seeing it on the page, right? Going back to like the lettering thing. Like that's why I think like the final draft being like on, even if it's just on the inks before it's colored to just like, see what your pages look like because like rhythm you have to find that rhythm i don't know i don't, I don't have any hard and fast rules but no i get i get that i wouldn't do a hundred like words per page because i think like depending on what you want to do on the page that means you're writing more or less you know your pages might be structured like that but i think that 25 words max to a balloon uh is a good is a good rule of thumb to keep in your back pocket because generally speaking like if you're doing more than 25 words, that's more than two sentences usually. Mm-hmm. So that balloon's going to start getting big and hard to navigate. Yeah. I want to ask you, since we're both Dauntless people and we're both promoting Dauntless books <laughs> during this discussion, 
and not to turn it necessarily into like an ad campaign or anything like that. But how was your experience working with Dauntless uh, from like once you pitched the idea to getting it accepted to working through like their original stage of green light campaign and then from that point on like the creation of the book how did your team work with Dauntless for youth point man etc yeah I mean I've been friends with Marcus for a while um lettered one of his like short stories before Dauntless and I love him Mar Marcus is one of the greatest most genuine people I've ever met and his his enthusiasm for comics and what he wants to bring to the table and help creators who might not typically get the shine. I think that's admirable and awesome. And yeah, I mean, their first lineup of books is just stellar. So I had, I had sent Marcus the vomit draft of this just because we were friends and I was stoked on the script and I wanted to share it with somebody. I didn't even no Dauntless was accepting submissions or anything like that. I just like, I need to share this with somebody. And he loved it. And he was like, fuck, I wish, I wish I could like bring this on to Dauntless, blah, blah, blah. And then like every time I would send him updates, like, oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm bringing on Kevin to uh, do the line art. And then like, he's like, oh man, that's going to look so cool. Show him like the first bit of pages. And he's like, you know what? I know you're planning out a Kickstarter for this, but let's just do it on Dauntless. And I was like, deal. And with Dauntless, it's been smooth, smooth sailing. Um, he's, like I said, I mean, I've already just shouted my praise from the rooftop for Marcus and Dauntless, uh, so I won't continue. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's been awesome. And I'm very honored to be in like the opening year of their books, which mm -hmm. is awesome. Working with Kevin and Fabi have, I mean, similar to how you feel about Adam and HG, like if I could only ever make books with them for the rest of my life, Obviously that's not the case, but like if that, if like that was like a curse bestowed upon me, I would be okay with it. Is like Kevin has such a dynamic storytelling. And like, I mean, I fell in love with his work on grit from yeah. Scout Comics uh, with him and Brian Wickman. And I can't remember the colorist or the letter on, oh, Micah, Micah Myers lettered it. I know that. Mm -hmm. I can't think of off the top of my head. But I mean, I fell in love with Kevin's work there. And then I've been friends with uh, Fabi online for quite a while because we're both like little emo kids. Um, <laughs> and so when I needed to get a colorist for this, I mean, she was my first thought. And luckily she wasn't too busy coloring Batman to, to do a silly little indie book. So. Uh, and it's like a good thing you were able to get, get her. Cause I mean, her, I mean, Kevin's line art's amazing. Like I was already like impressed and I'm a huge black and white fan. Uh, so when you were showing off like sample pages and everything of like what he had been cooking up, I was already like, Oh my God, this looks so good. But her colors, especially like in the physical copy, like of the printed book that it looks so good. Like her colors shine like over this line art. It's, I mean, it's really stunning stuff. Thank you. I will definitely pass along the message. Um, I haven't even seen the physical copies yet. Uh, I got sh shipped to my ex's house because that's the most safe mailing address and I haven't been by yet to pick it up. So I'm, jealous, really of everybody, I'm jealous of everybody holding it because I haven't even held it yet. It's got this soft touch cover. It is. Yeah. Rub it on your face. Really nice. <laughs> Marcus was telling me like the upgrades they did with the printing and I was like, very stoked. Yeah, it, I mean, it's like a nice thick little book. Like, and I mean, Dauntless, I think, switches up their printers. They don't use the same ones every time. It depends on, you know, obviously, like many other places, what the rates are, you know, their working relationship and everything. But the printer for this one did a great job. I mean, it's a nice, it's a nice thick little book. 
like i mean it's 20 pages right 22 pages but it's thicker yeah. and sturdier than any floppy on the stand that's awesome i don't know i i could wax poetic for forever about about dauntless and about kevin and fabi uh, i haven't had any snags i mean like like the hardest thing is always like the financial aspect and um <laughs> Dauntless normally pays their creators, but me and Marcus worked out a deal because he's doing some work for me on Off Into the Sunset. So I'm doing uh, a lot of the payment out of my own pocket for for Kevin and Fabi. So that's like the only real snag, but that's like everybody's snag yeah. on creating independent comics. Yeah. That's being a writer in comics is paying yeah. your crew, basically. Well, what has your what is your uh your Dauntless thing been? Okay, so it's my turn to to wax poetic about Marcus. Yeah. Dude is amazing i mean again i mean i said this a little bit earlier but like without him we probably wouldn't have made eat my flesh drink my blood because it would have been really hard to fund it i mean page rates for adam and hg aren't cheap by any means i mean i still consider it a deal for the amount of work they do you know the quality of the work they do but making uh you know even a 52 page i think actually 53 page book with them but still, I mean, it was still a, quite a bit of money. So for Dauntless to be able to step up and, and help, you know, and pay rates, which is, again, not a common thing. And I'm not sure that's their practice moving forward. I think they're going to try and do more of a more leaning on their green light campaign to do that. But for that first wave of books, I mean, that was just something like special because there's like, I don't know, like you can probably name like on one hand the amount of publishers that will pay you a page rate for creator-owned ip not yeah. you know working on their stuff so that the fact that that existed even if it was for a very brief time was something very magical and like you said marcus's enthusiasm is crazy infectious like you'll send it like I'll, i would send him something and he's just like oh my god this is amazing like this is so so good and it gets you amped up to want to get back to work right and not in not in a way that feels like he's just like blowing smoke up your butt or anything like that you know yeah. and like it's like a it's a genuine sort of like appreciation for for art and for comics and what that type of storytelling you can do with that medium i mean i really i really like working with dauntless and i mean we've already kind of talked about potential upcoming projects and working together for other things and i have a feeling that i'll probably be working either know with marcus directly or tangentially side by side with marcus on a lot of stuff like moving forward just because like working with ahg and adam i mean he makes it easy and that's yeah. like you want you know you want to be able to do it's already hard enough to make a fucking comic book you know like <laughs> last thing you need is like the people you're working with to make it difficult for you <laughs> i'm gonna switch up gears a little bit here because this is something i've been dealing with lately after kind of like a lot of stuff happening last year with the comics uh with my comics mm -hmm. i've been like super super burnt out on comics lately creating them and also ingesting them how do you deal with burnout yourself i mean the biggest thing is taking time to do other stuff and i'll say first and foremost like i might be one of the worst like comic creator comic people <laughs> um my main creative draw like for my comics is movies so like when I'm looking for inspiration, I typically am not going to go read comics. I want to read comics for fun. I'll go watch movies and see how like certain movies are broken down. And I always just have movies on in the background anyway. So it's easy to pick up little tidbits of inspiration that way. But the biggest thing is just like taking a break. I am absolutely not one of those Stephen King 
wake up and write 5,000 words a day. Like you <laughs> got to do it every single day. Like that's the way you get better. I do. I, that's a method that can work for some people. I don't, I don't, it's not even about if it would be good for me. I don't want to do it. I don't <laughs> like, like I, I am someone that at this point in time in my life is someone that does comics essentially on the side. That's not my day job. That's not, you know, what I get paid to do or anything. So I don't have the time, first of all, to do that, to sit down and write 5,000 words a day. And in comics, that would be an extraordinary amount of writing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, you know, so it's, it's about taking time for myself. So typically I work on a, when the mood strikes, you know, sort of mentality. And I also keep my phone with Google docs and that's how I write a lot of stuff. Okay. So less about making sure I'm writing a certain amount of time per day versus like, if I'm inspired, I'm able to just open my app immediately and just add something to essentially like the word Bible for like whatever, you know, idea it's bringing from for whatever project that is. Um, it's, I mean, it's about keeping it for me, at least it's about keeping it fun. Yeah. If I'm not fun doing it, if I, if suddenly comics has become a job, you know, and, and not in a way like, oh, I'm working for DC. Clearly that's a job. <laughs> like, like if I'm, yeah. making, if I'm making creator owned comics and I'm not having fun doing it, then I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. Just like personally, my mentality for it. So really it's about making sure I'm taking time to, to not write comics, to not read comics, to get the fuck off Twitter. Cause honestly, like, that's a huge part of the job yes i am on twitter because i'm addicted to social media yes i'm on twitter because i like talking to the people that i talk to on twitter but the main reason i am there is and the reason i'm talking to a lot of people is to maintain like a sense of like standing right you know you yeah. want people to know who you are and what you're doing and the only way to do that is to have a social media profile mm -hmm. and most of eat my flesh drink my blood's marketing is done through twitter you know it's yeah. through my through my twitter account so taking a break from that, you know, whether that's taking it off your phone, if you're stronger than me and you can actually just keep it on your phone and, and not open it up every five minutes or something, God bless you. No, <laughs> not me. Yeah, not, not me. I can't do it. Um, but really, that's what it is. It's just taking a break from it, doing something else. Nice. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think there's like the biggest like problem in any, well, any industry, but especially <laughs> in independent comics is this like you have to push yourself, but like, cause like, I'm not knocking people who have that awesome work ethic, who are constantly just beating, like beating the pavement and like creating awesome stuff. Like, I mean, the first person that comes to my mind when it comes to work ethic is Jared Lujan, like mm -hmm. one of the hardest working people I know. And he's going to get to superstar status because of that. I have so much respect for him. So I'm not, not I'm not knocking that cause it does work, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, I feel like so many people do drain themselves and I fall, I've fallen victim to that. And like, that's why, like, I've been so burnt out for like, two three months now and it's been awful but um you mentioned it's hard, it's hard yeah. to maintain that that level of commitment to it and not again not even because it's something you know we don't want to do we all clearly want to do it we want to make comics but i think it also depends on like what your goal is right as yeah. a right like you know are you trying to make it mainstream are you trying to reach superstar status like are you trying to be, you know, someone where writing is your job? Do you want a job at DC? Do you want a job at Marvel? Do you just want to, or are you like me? Do you want to just tell your silly little stories and hopefully make a little bit of money on the side and get people to like it? I mean, it really all depends on that too. Yeah, I agree. You mentioned that your main source of inspiration is movies. And I can see that 100%, especially in Eat My Flesh, where you do those cinematic three panel pages. Um, 
storyboarding. I hope people don't get mad at us. So people are like, comics aren't movies. Don't do that. Don't make comics to make movies. And we're like, we're going to make a comic that is a movie. <laughs> but, but my thing is, is, like, from what I've learned in my years on Twitter is nobody on comics Twitter is going to get mad about the stupidest things. No, no, so you're, no, fine. no. you're fine. You're <laughs> fine. Um, but so, like, what movies were inspiring you when you were working on uh, Eat My Flesh? Um, so <laughs> my number one always inspiring me movie for every project I do is Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Toby okay. Hooper, 74 Masterpiece. Um, a lot of Grindhouse stuff, obviously. I wanted to go for that like 70s flair where you're bold to the point of like a hammer attack in terms of like how you're approaching your themes. You know, it's not about subtlety. Um, so a lot of stuff like that, like don't torture a duckling, um, a lot of Italian giallo stuff, um, some, or yeah, um, house by the cemetery by Lucio Fulci was a big one. Um, but then also like watching, and it was, it was a lot of horror stuff. Um, but like a lot of some of the newer stuff, like midsummer, like things that also were about relationships. Cause obviously that's a huge emphasis, um, on it. And then another one that kind of ties into the price a little bit. Um, was hateful eight i yeah. love i love tarantino movies so like i'm always watching that stuff too just because i love how he writes dialogue yeah um, but like the way that he was able to frame like the film in cinemascope you know so it's in these super wide panel formats just like you might flush drink my blood is but it's like almost entirely inside which yeah. i when i saw that in theaters i was able to see the roadshow version so they did the full same, with the same thing seeing that in the theater was like amazing because it's like, he just was like, I'm going to take the camera that's meant for glorious outside shots and I'm going to shoot a stage play. And I was like, <laughs> like over the moon that like, he was like, I'm going to just like a big fuck you like, like to doing this the way it normally is done. And I wanted to do that with the, my flesh drink my blood. I wanted it to be like, it's mostly inside. It's one or two locations, but we have these super wide shots that we can use for like capturing the entire room in one shot. We're getting these like really huge close-ups of people's faces and stuff like that. Yeah. And then obviously another one too is like, because uh, when you work with Adam, it's always tied into it. But like we love, we both love John Carpenter. So oh, yeah. So the thing is always like on rotation. I love Christine, so I'm always watching that movie. <laughs> so it's a lot. Honestly, it's a lot of the stuff I'm always watching, anyways, because I'm big into horror. Um, but really like sticking to that grindhouse feel. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I ask because like. The two influences that like were heavily inspiring me when I wrote the price were um, obviously, like I said, Red Dead Redemption Two because like mm. I was just playing that opening act and I was like, I want to write in this environment. Um, but then the second one was uh, The Shining. Mm. It's all just about like isolation and how bad that is for your brain. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so old Luke is a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> um he's he's not a ghost okay all right we'll see I'm that. guessing things until i whittle it down <laughs> i mean yeah if you if you want to spend the next 15 minutes just like guessing things i'm a <laughs> the rest of the that. podcast forest fairy uh demon <laughs> uh um uh a yeti <laughs> uh yeah it's actually matt like he's uh he's old luke <laughs> no, that actually makes sense. I can see the resemblance. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, horror is awesome. I, I, I used to be like the biggest wuss 
Like I, I remember like I saw like the original uh, it miniseries as a kid and then I had like nightmares for weeks. And then mm-hmm. ever since then I was like, nah, I ain't gonna watch any horror. Um, and then finally I was like, I'm gonna get over that. And so I, I think like the first real modern horror I watched was It Follows, which is incredible. And then, yeah, I just started doing deep dives on Shudder and like catching up on all the amazing movies that I just was too much of a wuss to watch. Let's turn this into a Shudder advertisement real quick because that streaming service is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, I love that you mentioned that you don't like using comics as inspiration. Because, I mean, it, it kind of goes back to like the old, the old saying of like, like Jack Kirby studied actual anatomy and then artists after him studied his his work in anatomy and then kind of mess it up so mm-hmm. i mean if you're only studying comics then your storytelling might not be as good as if you're watching films or reading novels or watching the history channel or whatever so i, th- I thought that was cool that you mentioned that definitely got a pull from other places and i totally get like people that are like comics purists you know and they're sticking to just that but i don't think there's that many modern writers that are doing that to be honest but you can definitely i mean that that kind of informs how I write too, just be like, you can see in a lot of my stuff, I don't include like the narrative captions. And that's because when I'm watching a movie, I don't really like when they have narrators in a movie, unless if it's like a noir, that's the only time it should be allowed basically. (laughs) So like, that's how I write too. It's because I don't like it when like a writer's telling me exactly what they're thinking. I like to, it's a visual medium, right? Like, so writers sort of sometimes need to be able to sit there and take a back seat to like what their art team is doing and let them tell the story. And that's why most of the time when I'm making comics, when it's allowed, sometimes publishers have iffy rules about it. But like, I put my name last usually because it's like for eat my flesh, drink my blood. That's Adam and AHG out there. Like, yes, I wrote the script and everything and I had input and, you know, edited and everything. But like what you see on the page is like all them. Like they do the heavy lifting. Yeah. Okay. So like, I, th- I think one last question to, and then like wrap, to wrap it up in like a like neat little like bow. Okay. Um, what's one genre that you haven't worked in that you would love to work in? So I've done fantasy. I've done horror. I mean, I'll do horror again, obviously. I've done queer fistfight book, which I don't know how you would categorize that. I guess action romance. I don't know. Um, probably I would love to do, I would love to do sci-fi. Um, like a big sci-fi epic, obviously. I feel like most writers, if you're even tangentially interested in sci-fi, that's something that sits off in the corner of your mind where you're like, how could I do that? Um, I'd like to do that. Um, one of the projects that I'm hoping to work on next is is horror related, but it's built like a true crime sort of story. So I want to do that because I think that would be kind of fun to like do something akin to horror, but it's more like real world horror. That would be cool. I'd also like to do more romance. Like I said, if Eat My Flesh, Drink My Blood gets a sequel, it's going to be like a rom-com first and foremost, which I think would be really fun to do. I'd like to, I don't know, I like doing all kinds of different stories. So what about you? Uh, the, the main one right now is cyberpunk. Like mm. I love that genre and the aesthetic and the themes and stuff. So that's like been in my mind lately. But yeah, I mean, all of them. Yeah, right. As a writer, yeah. I don't know. Like, so it's so- <laughs> I, I can't imagine pigeonholing. I mean, obviously, like, I love to write horror, and that's always, like, the easy one to go to the well for, but who would, why would you want to limit yourself, right? I want to write everything. I want to write, hopefully, and get paid to do it, too, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. 
whatever whatever genre is paying me <laughs> yeah right <exactly. laughs> well it's been a pleasure talking with you brent i really love the price uh, obviously i mean they can't again this is a podcast so they can see it but i've been touching this book pretty much the whole time <laughs> uh i love it it's great um i'm really looking forward to like what your next big project is so i hope the burnout settles soon and you get back to the grindstone thank you uh and yeah same to you frankie we've been friends for a while it's been exciting to watch you grow and come into your own as a creator and love watching you and you, Adam and AHG continue to work together. And I'm very stoked to see what's next. Thank you to Brent and Frankie for joining us for this discussion. Listeners can find both their books, The Price and Eat My Flesh, Drink My Blood at dauntlessstories.com. Both writers can also be found on Twitter at Brent Harshman, that's Brent with two T's, and at Frankie underscore White, and that's Frankie with two E's. Special thanks to Matt Campbell for composing our music, and Jeff Harmatz for designing our logo. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Creators on Comics podcast. 